0: All right, if you want to grab a seat, we, this morning we're going to wrap up this 14-month this, uh, series that we've been walking through since January of 2018. And so if you're, if you're visiting with us this morning and it's your first time here, welcome. You're about to catch the tail end of what's been a long journey. Um, if, if you're someone who, this is your church home, then the goal this morning is going to be essentially to end where we started. And that's, the goal is to pull everything together that we've been talking about as we've worked our way through Romans. And uh, as we've done that, we've been talking about and putting some flesh on what is our mission statement here, which is building devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to pull all those things together. We're going to tie up all the loose ends here this morning. And then next week and the week after that, we'll do a couple standalone sort of messages before we jump into our next series uh, in the middle of March. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. God, thanks for this morning. Lord, for the chance to come together and worship as a church family. Lord, I pray that uh, during our time together here this morning, God, that we would have hearts that uh, are humble and submitted to you, God, that we would look to glorify you in all that we do this morning, whether that's in song or in looking at your word or in our interactions and our relationships with one another. Um, Lord, we're knit together as a church family by the truth of the gospel. And so I pray that as we, we spend our time together this morning, that Uh, the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus would be at the forefront of everything that we do. God, that we would make much uh, out of who you are and what you've done for us this morning. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, I, I mentioned this, but our aim, our mission here at Liberty Christian Fellowship is to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ and That sounds great. It's like on the wall when you walk in. That's as a church sort of quote unquote organization, if you will. That's what we are attempting to do. But the reality is that our aim, our desire is to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that begins with uh, every individual who comes through our doors, whether they come to visit our desires that they would be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ or someone who calls LCF home, and they've been attending church here for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. We have the same desire for them. As a staff, um, our individual desire is to follow Jesus well. Whether someone's a pastor on our staff, or they're one of our uh, wonderful administrative assistants, or the small group leaders that lead within our church, or the folks back in Kids Point ministry who lead and teach classes, our D group leaders, whatever the case might be, um, our leadership team, we want to be people who follow Jesus well, that no matter what our role is, no matter where we are, no matter what season of life we're in, we're seeking to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of his. that's my chief aim in life and At this season, and I hope for a long one, I'm the pastor at Liberty Christian Fellowship. But you could take that title away and put me in another role, put me in another place, and the overriding goal of my life would not change, and that's to follow Jesus well. And so at LCF, what we're trying to do as a staff is we're trying to create a place that gives people tools and handles to grab onto to grow in their relationship with Jesus and to walk well with Him in relationship. And so, as we've been working through Romans, we've been looking at these five characteristics that we uh, identify as, this is what it is to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that we're gospel-centered, humbly unified, mission-driven, pursuing holiness, and that we're disciple-making. We've talked over the course of the last 14 months that we do all of those because of grace. That we're not in and of ourselves, we don't have the power and the strength to just be those things. We need the grace of the Lord. And so it's grace that saves us and makes us gospel-centered. It's grace that unites us so that we can be humbly unified as a church. It's grace that compels us to share the message of the gospel and to be mission-driven. It's grace that transforms us and shapes us into the image of Christ as we pursue holiness, and it's grace that sustains us in our efforts to make disciples. That's who we want to be as a church. That's who we want to be as individual followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we've worked our way through Romans over the last 14 months, we've been trying to put some skin on all of that. We want to see the gospel clearly, and Romans is an amazing place to do that. It's the most linear, uh, sort of logical, laid out picture of the gospel from beginning, humanity's sin, to the end, Jesus' death on the cross, that Scripture gives us in one concise place. We want to see the glory of that clearly and just cherish it and celebrate it. And we've had chances to do that over the last 14 months. We want to hear its implications clearly. What does it mean? What does it require? What does it call us to as those who place their faith in Jesus Christ? And as we've walked our way through that, we took four little breaks in looking at Romans in order to talk about uh, four of those five qualities. Gospel-centered is what we've been talking about all the way through Romans. And at four different points, we stopped so we could talk about what does it mean to be humbly unified, mission-driven, pursuing holiness, or disciple-making. This morning, my aim is to look at five passages in Romans and give us one last picture of what the message of the book of Romans is all about, but also tie together all of these loose ends on our mission statement and give some handles for how it is that we as a church want to provide opportunities for you to be able to grow in these five areas. A lot of what I'm going to say this morning is going to sound very familiar. That's on purpose. Uh, If you've been here with us over the last 14 months, a lot of the phrases are going to sound the same. Uh, I'm using verbatim statements I used in previous messages, and that's on purpose. That's because we've been trying to faithfully look at the book of Romans and show that what we're about as a church is straight out of the Bible, that we're not cooking up some fancy mission statement that has nothing to do with with Scripture, and we want to reiterate that this morning. And so we're going to start in Romans 1, verse 14. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open up to there, we'll work our way forward as we go. But this is what Romans 1, 14 through 17 says. It's Paul writing, and he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. First and foremost, let me define what the gospel is. Paul starts in his letter talking about the gospel basically immediately, and he knows that his readers are going to understand what it is when he uses that word. We don't ever want someone to be confused about what we mean when we talk about the gospel here. We don't want to assume that everybody just knows what that means. And so let me offer, uh, hopefully, the most succinct definition of the gospel that I possibly can. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died as the atoning sacrifice for sin, displaying the glory of the Lord and making salvation possible for humanity. That's what the gospel is that each and every one of us is sinful and that if left unforgiven in our sin, we would stand before a holy and a righteous God and we would receive the punishment that is due to us. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died in our place in order to justify us or redeem us or forgive us. That in so doing, he displayed all of the beauty and the glory of God and all of his wonderful character, and he's made it so that we can be saved and spend eternity in heaven with him. That's the gospel. Seeing, understanding, and placing our faith in the hope of the gospel, then, completely reorients life and the universe, literally, for a believer. When you see and understand and receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, when you take hold of the gospel, no longer does everything orbit around you. No longer is all of life with you at the center of it. Instead, that gets flipped. The gospel becomes the sun that everything in your life revolves around. We start to think differently than we used to think before we knew the gospel. We start to see everything differently than we used to see it before we understood the gospel. We start to make decisions differently than we would have when we thought the universe revolved around us. If we've seen the glory of God and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then that glory in that picture becomes the controlling factor in our life. We get centered on it. A devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to use Paul's words here, is obligated to the gospel, eager for the gospel, and unashamed of the gospel. We're constrained by it. It hymns in what we do and what we don't do. It gives the parameters for how it is that we think about life situations or what's going on in our society. It begins to be the guardrails that sort of buffer us in terms of what it is that we want to do or how it is that we want to be motivated. It takes our affections and completely rewires them so that the things of the world are no longer satisfying to us, but instead what's most satisfying is the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does in the life of a believer To be gospel-centered is to live that sort of way. But we're also eager for the gospel. We want to keep it in front of us at all times. We want to keep it in front of the world at all times. We're compelled by it to share the truth of Jesus Christ on the cross for all the people in all of the world because that message has to be heard. And we're unashamed of it. We're emboldened by it. We live at a time in our society where uh, it's easy to be ashamed of the gospel. Where to make a profession that you believe that the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus Christ was not just a good example or a good teacher, but he was the savior of the world who died on the cross for the sin of humanity. And that if you don't place your faith in him, then you are left unforgiven and unjustified in your sin and will therefore face punishment. That is not a popular message to stand on, the, on like, you know, the street corner and say, I believe this. We live in a time where it's easy to shrink back from that. But the reality is that you can't have the gospel at the center of your life and be ashamed of it at the same time. The two are mutually exclusive. You've either got the gospel at the center of who you are, and you're unashamed of that, or you keep it at sort of arm's length, far enough away that hopefully when you stand in judgment before the Lord, it's close enough to save you, but not so close that someone in our world might understand that that's who you are. We've made it in the sort of uh, contemporary American church we've made it out to be an option that you can keep the gospel over here at arm's length and somehow still be saved. The reality is that that is simply not true. Read the New Testament. Find one person in the New Testament who kept the gospel as far away as possible and yet close enough to them that they might be saved. You won't find that. What you find in the New Testament are people who come to an understanding of who Jesus is and their need for a Savior, and it completely changes their life. Everything about them, the way they think, the way they act, the way they're motivated, how they conduct their relationships, what it is they do or they don't do, how they think, how they engage with society, it alters everything. That's because it would be impossible to understand the truth of your sin and the beauty of the gospel and not be radically changed by it. It's impossible to understand the truth of your sin and the beauty of the gospel and say to yourself, you know what, that seems like a nice addition to my life. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how the Bible portrays faith in Jesus Christ you come to understand your need for a Savior and you place your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the grace of God which is able to save you, you cast all of your life upon it. You cling to it. It becomes the anchor that stabilizes you and the truth that props you up. It becomes the sun that your life orbits around, the very breath that you long to breathe. That's what it is to be gospel-centered. How is it that we do that? What are some things here at Liberty Christian Fellowship that we offer in order to help people take steps forward in this? First and foremost, read the Bible. Every single day, we need to get our universe properly oriented. We need to get the gospel not only in front of our eyes and in front of our minds, but we need to get it resituated correctly in our heart. The truth of Jesus Christ leaps off of every page of the Bible. In the Old Testament, everything points to Christ. In the Gospels, everything is about Christ. In the epistles and what follows from Acts to the end of the Bible, everything is about how we live in relation to Christ. Read the Bible. You want to be Gospel-centered? Wake up every day and center yourself on the Gospel. It really is that easy. It doesn't have to be rocket science. I was thinking about this. I don't know why we call something difficult, rocket science all the time. It doesn't have to be meteorology in the Midwest in the winter, right? (laughs) This can be easy. Wake up in the morning before you go to bed. It doesn't matter when you do it. Get your heart realigned correctly in relationship to the gospel. We are forgetful people. Our natural bent is to wake up every single day and try to cram ourselves into the center of our universe. We've got to wake up and remind ourselves what's actually at the center, and that's Jesus Christ. Sunday mornings. Sometimes the truth of the gospel gets cloudy for us, whether it's because of our circumstances or some temptation or, or sin issue that we're struggling against. The gospel becomes kind of hazy for us. It's still there, but it seems like there's like clouds in the way or something. And so we gather together on Sunday mornings as a church family. We come together in order to have the clouds pushed away so that we can see the light again, to hear the truth in God's word, to sing it in song, to see it being lived out in the people around us. I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because you're present here this morning. But one of the ways you can help yourself live in a gospel-centered way is make church a priority. Be present on Sunday mornings. It doesn't make sense that you could say your life is centered on the truth of the gospel and you wouldn't want to be here and to worship with your church family. That you would say, you know what, if it works out, I might wander my way over to church this Sunday. It makes no sense that you would fill up your bucket, your life bucket, with all sorts of other stuff and then try to cram Jesus into it as if there's going to be space. To live in a gospel-centered way is to take that life bucket and put Jesus in first and then fill in everything else around it. We offer worship nights four times a year. Those are opportunities for us to just come together and worship to sing the truth of the gospel as a church. If you've got children, whether they're in middle school or high school, so they're in our student ministry, or they're in elementary school or even younger, and therefore our children's ministry, if you want to help your children begin to formulate an understanding of what it is to live a life that's centered on the gospel, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to Get them involved in our student ministry and in our children's ministry. I'm biased in saying this because I'm the pastor here. But those ministries, our Kids Point ministry on Sunday mornings, True Seekers on Tuesday nights for third through fifth graders, our student ministry, they're first rate. They're as, as good and as intentional of ministries as I've ever seen for those age groups of young people. Jim and Erica and our student ministry, along with their volunteer team, do a fantastic job of taking the truth of the gospel and helping it be applicable to our middle school and high school students. Libby and Catherine and their team of volunteers in our children's ministry do a fantastic job of helping our youngest children understand the truth of the gospel. Parents, your primary role is to be a discipler for your children, but that doesn't mean you can't seek the help of the church in doing that. Our children's ministry and our student ministry are great ways to start building that within your kids. But the absolute starting point for living a gospel-centered life is to receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is step number one. If you've not ever done that, you can do so this morning. If you've not ever done that, it's the most important thing you can set your mind and your heart to thinking about. What does the Bible say? what is the truth of my condition as a human being and my need for a Savior? And is Jesus Christ that Savior? I believe firmly that you can take this book and you can put it under the harshest scrutiny and you're going to come out with the same result every single time. And that's that this book is true and Jesus Christ is the Savior. To live a gospel-centered life requires starting there. Flip over with me because once you get yourself centered on the gospel the rest of our, four, or our five statements start to play themselves out. I'm going to read Romans three twenty-one to 26. This is what it says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. If that paragraph is true, I'm not sure there's anything more important in all of the world or in all of human history. We could back up and talk about whether or not you think the Bible is true, and I'd love to have that conversation with you if you have questions about it. But if you do believe the Bible is true, if that's your starting place, then there, Romans 3, 21-26, is the most central, most important truth for every human being who's ever taken a breath on planet Earth. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty-three. Justification is available by grace alone. God presented Christ as an atoning sacrifice in His blood. We've got to receive that grace by faith. And therefore, we can be justified, declared righteous. That's the most important truth there is. And if your life is not centered on the gospel, then maybe that just sounds like a well-written paragraph, a well-constructed paragraph. But if your life is centered on the gospel, then that should be a driving motivation because the world needs to know. The person that lives next door to you needs to know. The coworker in the cubicle down the hall from you has got to know. Your family member needs to know. The kids on your child's sports teams or their parents, they have to know. That becomes the driving motivation in your life to share the gospel. We are mission-driven. If God is holy, sin is real, hell is real, and Jesus is really the way to a real heaven, then the message of the gospel is really important. It's eternally important. At times, I think we can be tempted to think of the gospel as an end point, that we got saved and that was it, that it stopped at me. Jesus died on the cross so that I could be saved, and now that I'm saved, the gospel has reached its fulfillment. That's simply not true. When you're saved, you're not only saved from something, but you're saved for something. You are absolutely saved from your sin and the just wrath of God, but you're absolutely saved for the proclamation of His glory and the proclamation of the gospel. You become a believer, you place your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the grace of God for the forgiveness of your sin, you get one assignment. Make it known. Make that message known. The gospel's not an end point, it's a center point. Your life orbits around it. The gospel's not an end point, it's a launching pad. It compels you. You've seen the glory of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you know that everybody else needs to see that as well. And so you cannot help but share that message. What are some handles for this here at LCF? Well, first and foremost, read your Bible. The truth of the gospel explodes off of every single page. And the desire of the Lord for everyone to hear it explodes off every page. God's longing for the nations of the earth to see and to understand His glory and live in relationship with Him explodes off every page. You want to be driven by the mission of God? Read about the mission of God in His Word what else can you do? Maybe you say to yourself, Tim, I understand that I'm supposed to share the gospel. I'm even willing to do it. I just don't know how. Joe, raise your hand. Oh, he stood up. (laughs) He doesn't know that I'm about to do this. Joe would love nothing more than to come to your small group or to meet you for a keto-friendly meal (laughs) and share with you This three-circles method of sharing the gospel. It comes from an organization called No Place Left. Many within our congregation have gone through that training and learned how to share the gospel. It doesn't have to be intimidating. Anyone can do it, and Joe would love to show you how. So if you want to learn how to do that, there he is, red shirt, bald head. He would love to teach you how to do that. But there are other opportunities as well. Maybe you say, "You know what? I know how to share it. I've done the training. I can do it. I just don't know how to engage with the nations." Well, there are options and opportunities to do that here at our church. You can be involved in the ESL class that we're taking part in over the course of uh the spring here. There are individuals who end up in Kansas City whether as refugees or because they were forced out of where they were living before or they move here and they don't speak English and they would love nothing more than to build some relationships and learn how to communicate in this place. And we can go and be a part of that. And you can build a relationship with someone who's maybe never heard the truth of the gospel before and have the opportunity to share with them. There are short-term mission trips upcoming that you can be a part of. We've got missionaries all around the world that maybe you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not called to go, but I would love to be supporting the work of sharing the gospel among unreached and unengaged peoples. We have missionaries from our church in those places that you can give to in order to support, or you can get on their prayer list and join them In prayer, they send out updates regularly and so you can know what's going on in those places around the world and join with us in praying that the Lord would reveal powerfully the truth of the gospel in those places. You can take part in local initiatives to serve our community right here. We're doing one right now with the Step Up and Serve event where we're gathering supplies so that we can put together those blessing bags for individuals who need them. There are people right here in our own community who need to not only hear the truth of the message of Jesus Christ, but they also need to see the hope of the gospel lived out and portrayed by the local church. And there are opportunities all throughout the year that we offer to our congregation to take part in that. One last really practical thing that you can do is get on Amazon later and one-click yourself a book called Operation World. Inside Operation World, there's a page for every country on the face of the planet, and it tells you what the gospel's movement is like in that place. Is it unreached? Is it totally unengaged? Is it post-Christian? Is it largely Christian? And how can you be praying for those places? Maybe what you do in order to take a step forward in being mission-driven is you get that book and you say, you know what? I'm going to pray over a country a day. And you begin praying that the Lord would unleash the gospel in those places. We're mission-driven flip over to Romans 6 with me. Verses 1 through 4. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a newness of life. You might remember from a few months ago when we talked about this, but if you didn't, or, or if you don't, or if you weren't here, if you're just joining us this morning, what happened in your life, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is that you were given not only forgiveness for the acts of sin that you have committed, but you were also given a new nature, one that's no longer marked by the sin of Adam from the garden, but is instead marked by the righteousness of Christ. And so you live out of that new nature. Look, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We have a sin nature. We're not punished for Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. We're punished for the sins that we commit because we can't help but commit them. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our sinful action is forgiven, past, present, future. But you also get a new nature. And you should be living out of the nature of Christ rather than out of the nature of Adam. You're not saved by the works that you do. You're saved by grace. You receive that grace through faith. I want to be clear, but I also want to be strong on this. We're not saved by the fruit of our deeds. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But I do not think the Bible paints a picture whereby a fruitless faith is a faith that has saved. Let me say that again. We are not saved by the fruit of our lives, the actions that we do. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But I do not think the Bible paints a picture of a fruitless faith being a faith that saves. John Piper says it this way, the faith which alone justifies is never alone. A love for the gospel produces a hatred for sin. And so we pursue holiness. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you get positional holiness. You're made holy before the Lord thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ that covers you and has forgiven you of your sins. But that should also then be progressive in your life. You are shaped and molded into the image of Jesus Christ progressively from the day you become a believer to the day you die. And then your, your holiness will be perfected as you stand before the Lord. A few months ago, I gave a bunch of statements about what pursuing holiness is and what it is not. I'm going to run through all of those. If you weren't here and you want to listen to that message, you can go on to our website. The title of that message was Pursuing Holiness. What is it? Here's what it is. Pursuing holiness is not legalism. Legalism says do this and you will be saved. Pursuing holiness is responsive. You have been saved, therefore you do. Pursuing holiness is not a contradiction to the message of grace alone by faith or grace alone through faith alone. Instead, it's a compliment because the grace that is powerful enough to save you eternally is also powerful enough to transform you in the here and now. Pursuing holiness is not passive. We don't just sit around thinking that we're going to drift our way into living a Christ-like life. No, it's active and it's active in submission to the Lord. Pursuing holiness is not individual, it's relational. It happens in relationship with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit inside of you. It happens in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ because sometimes we need someone to look at us and say, hey, you're missing the mark here and it's painful and it stings inside of us, but we've got to have that because we have blind spots. Your your pursuit of holiness, if it's not in relationship with other people, will be stymied by the fact that you don't often see your own areas of sin. Someone's got to point them out for you. Pursuing holiness is not sinlessness, but it's growth. It's growth in Christ-likeness will never be perfect this side of heaven. Pursuing holiness is not outward only, but it's inside out. Your affections need to be continually captured by the beauty of the gospel and the glory of God's grace. And then the things of this world become less and less tasty because you'd rather feast on God's glory. Pursuing holiness is often not this smooth process, or smooth kind of upward climb. Instead, it's a process. looks more like a roller coaster up and down, but hopefully trending in the right direction. Pursuing holiness is not neutral. It's vivifying. That's a $5 word that simply means that it should be bringing to life good things inside of us. We don't just avoid sinful stuff. We actively engage in righteous stuff. Jesus gave just as many commands of things we should do as things we should avoid. And then last, pursuing holiness is not proud, it's humble. Growing in our Christ-likeness isn't about attracting attention to ourselves, it's about humbly pointing to Jesus. That process starts within you. You don't have to hate yourself, that's not how this works. This isn't some sort of self-loathing, but we do hate the sin that lives inside of us, and so we wrestle with it. How can you Take part in this. Take steps forward in this here at LCF. Number one, read your Bible. Are you seeing a trend? The commands of the Lord are littered throughout the pages of the Bible, and it's clear the order that obedience to those commands happens in. We receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, and then we grow in our holiness in response to our salvation. You don't do enough good stuff and get saved. The Bible's clear on that. You might need to find some accountability. Find a person that you can confess to, that you can repent with. Be relational about it. Where can I find that accountability, Tim? Join a small group. Take part or take advantage of the men's and women's ministry events that happen here. Men, if you're looking for some accountability, go to that breakfast next week. Find some other men that you could walk this out alongside. Women, if you're looking for people that you can be accountable alongside, Take part in our women's Bible studies or take part in any of the women's ministry events that take place throughout the year. One more. You might need to seek professional help. It might be the case that you've got a deep-seated sin issue that's an addiction and that you need professional help in order to walk through. Seek that help. That's a great first step. We'd love to point you toward resources that could help you with that. Pursuing holiness. Flip over to Romans 12 two of these left. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in every person's sight. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Piece of cake. One sermon over that, and we've all got it locked in, right? There are four words for love used in the Greek throughout the New Testament. The word eros, that's like a romantic kind of love. The word agape, that's the word that describes God's perfect love for us. There's the word phileo, that's like a brotherly kind of love. And storge, which is like a family kind of love. In Romans 12, 9 down to 18, Paul uses three of those four Greek words. The only one missing is eros. Paul wants to make it clear that our love for one another within the body of Christ should model the kind of love that God has for us. It should be friend kind of love, phileo. It should be a family kind of love, storge, that we're knit together in this body. If you read through the New Testament, you will see that unity within the body of Christ is a huge deal. It is a very very big deal. And the bottom line is that you cannot love Jesus and not love those who love Jesus. It's not possible. You can't have been brought into the family of Christ and not love those who are part of the family of Christ. And so we're humbly unified. If you're centered on the gospel, you're unified with the people around you. Look, If you're not centered on the gospel, look at the person next to you. Better yet, that's probably a family member. Look at at someone you don't know. If you're not centered on the gospel, that person is basically one step below mildly annoying. That's just the truth of humanity. But if we're knit together by the truth of the gospel and we're centered on the truth of the gospel, then that's a family member. And you can't help but love them. You might fight like brother and sister every once in a while but you love one another. You're united with one another. And so a humbly unified church isn't self-serving, but is lovingly devoted to one another. Devoted in the attention that we give to the Word together. Devoted in the attention that we give to each other in generosity and in gathering and in interaction. We're devoted to worshiping together, praying, breaking bread, worshiping with this awe and praise means we're not deceitful, but instead we're authentic with one another. And it means that we don't view that as optional, but we also don't view it as a heavy-handed obligation. It's a joy and a privilege to walk in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. What are some handles for that? Number one, what do you think? Read the Bible. That's right. (laughs) Read the Bible. You're looking for a place to start there? Start in John chapter 17. Get in a small group. Yesterday was our Discover Your Ministry workshop where we walk people through figuring out what their spiritual gifts are and their passions are and we help them see how they can serve the church. You want to be more unified with the church that you attend, whether it's this one or a different local church, be invested in serving. Because so long as you show up and view yourself as a consumer, you're not ever probably going to be really unified with the people around. But if you become an investor... If you become someone who shows up and gives to that body, your affection for that body will naturally grow. Here's a really practical one. Seek reconciliation. There might be someone in this room right now that you need to have a reconciling conversation with. Nothing promotes unity more than walking up to someone that you've wronged and apologizing and asking for forgiveness. It requires humility on your part, but it brings together two distant parties back into unity. Nothing promotes unity more than having someone walk up to you and apologize and ask for forgiveness and having a gracious heart toward them that says, I forgive you. Let's walk in unity together. Seek reconciliation. Last, flip to Romans 16. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because we've been talking about this over the last... month or so, but Paul ends with a long list of names that starts in Romans 16 verse 1 and works its way all the way down through Romans 16 verse 23 and paints this picture of how the gospel spreads person to person to person, that God moves through disciple-making relationships. That's the picture we have at the end of Romans, that devoted followers of Jesus Christ make devoted followers of Jesus Christ who can make devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Second 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. be intentional in relationship with one another. Invite someone into a disciple-making relationship. Teach them what it is to follow Jesus. Model what it is to follow Jesus. Serve alongside them and then commission them to go and do the same. What are some handles for that? Handle number one, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Thank you, Mom. I know that voice anywhere. She's been very supportive all my life. Read the Bible. That's right. The New Testament is chock full of pictures of disciple-making in action. It's the commission that Jesus gives the disciples before he ascends into heaven. Go and make disciples. Here's another one, though. Maybe you've been listening over the course of the last month and you say to yourself, you know what? I do want to be in a disciple-making relationship. I want to be discipled. Or I think I'm in a place where I could disciple someone else, but I just need some tools. Just give me some rhythms or some frameworks that I can use in those relationships. Write this date down. March 14th, that's a Thursday night, at 7 p.m. We're going to meet right here with all those who are interested in either, either side of disciple-making, being a discipler or being discipled. And we're going to train. We're going to start giving out some rhythms that you can utilize in those relationships so that you can disciple someone effectively or so that you know what to expect if you want to be discipled. Thursday, March 14th, 7 p.m., we want to start that process. I want to end here. Our desire at LCF is to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I can give you no better pastoral recommendation for pursuing that in your life than this. Immerse yourself in the Bible. Don't just read it. Engage with it. Don't just engage with it surround yourself in it. Make it an ambition of your life to ever grow in your knowledge and your understanding, your love, and your application of Scripture. There's nothing else, no program, no book, no online sermon or Sunday morning service that has a greater impact on your growth in the gospel and in your relationship with the Lord than regularly and consistently reading from His Word. If you're stuck in your relationship with Jesus, the first question you should always ask yourself is, how is my routine of seeking God in His Word? If we're going to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ, there's no getting around it. We must be people of this book. Immerse yourself in the Bible. In your uh, uh, bulletin this morning, there's a little front and back insert handout. For each of these five areas, we listed some resources that we highly recommend. If one of these areas really piques your interest and you're looking to read more about it, we encourage you to check those out. But do not go and check out those extra resources unless you've started here in the Bible. It does not benefit us all that much to hear what someone else has to say about being mission-driven unless we know what the Bible has to say about it. What someone else has to say about pursuing holiness unless we know what the Bible has to say about it. Those are wonderful resources, but start here and then move to those. We recommend all of them very highly. Sound good? Awesome. Let's worship together and then Brian will send us out of here.